0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good Wednesday. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to this very buzzy named edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris. And I feel like I need to explain myself right at the front end. Because I've never done a show called, you know, Breakout Players, basically, is what this episode is titled. But it occurs to me, I need to be better with search engine optimization. That's the explanation. It's as simple as that. You got to have a title that catches people's eyes. What does a breakout player actually mean to me? Probably something different than what it does to. I don't know if it's the general public or other analysts or whatever. In my mind, a breakout player is someone who is stepping into a fantasy space that they haven't occupied before. Or a fantasy space that they haven't occupied recently. Maybe another explanation, because I think we have somebody on this list that has done it, but it was a little while ago. This is not the list of the old man squad, guys. Not to be confused. Don't worry, we'll have sort of like the Dan guys. We usually do that like in the final week before the season starts because that's when the board finally settles and that's when the vast majority of drafts are taking place. Because right now there isn't that list. Sorry, because players are still bouncing around. Some of these guys we're going to talk about today might bounce around a little bit. So this is the list today... The players I define as possible breakouts, if you want to call it that, are guys that are, in my estimation, prime for some kind of step forward. As opposed to the full Old Man Squad list, which is also... It's been known as the Boring Squad list. It actually has a section. You guys... I think a lot of po- folks forget this because it's called the Old Man Squad and be, or the Boring Squad or whatever. But it actually has a section... I chunked them out off to the side of players that are not old or boring that I thought were still kind of going a little bit too low. Because people that know me, and I know this is a long prelude to getting into it, and some of you are going to be like, Dan, shut the hell up and just talk about the players on your list for today. But I wanted you guys to understand where I'm coming from with this. A lot of the guys on the old man squad, which we'll get to in a week or two, are guys that fell... Because they're boring. Makes up the vast majority of the names on the list, but not all of them. And some of these players may still be there, despite board rearrangements over the next week and a half or so. But let's talk about them today. First things first, I am at Dan Vesperus over on social media. At, I'm trying to figure out where to point my fingers when it's reversed here on YouTube. I'm still not very good at this. There's one hand, there's the other hand, all pointing at it. There's my name, it's over here. I just need to remember it's like, in front of me. And, uh, you know, just below my right shoulder kind of thing. Uh, At Dan Besbris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I hope to find you guys over on social. We'll keep talking about fantasy sports as long as you want, well into the night, well into the next century, and, you know, if I'm not dead. That's dark. Also, please like, rate, subscribe, depending on where you're listening or watching this thing. If it's YouTube, it's like and subscribe. If it's listening, it's rate and subscribe. You guys have been extremely helpful on that front so far, and I certainly do thank you for that. But let's get down to the brassest of tacks. And I want to go through these players um, sequentially, meaning we'll go with the guy with the earliest uh, ADP and work our way sort of down the board from that front. And this is, again, you guys know me. I'm a low-tech kind of uh, fantasy podcaster, so we're just going to be looking at a Yahoo player board of the first guy we're talking about, and that first guy is Tyrese Maxey. Yes, that means that you're also subject to whatever advertisements Yahoo has on their board here and whatever other nonsense that is bouncing around on it, Uh, but Tyrese Maxey is the first player that I've got on this list, and he's sort of a weird choice, I understand this, because... You could probably argue that his breakout season happened not this last year, but the one before, which is the year when he stepped from doing very little to doing quite a lot, and he jumped inside the top 60. He finished not this most recent season, 21-22 is the one we're talking about right now, at number 57 by averages. He played in 75 of the Sixers' 82 games, which pushed him up to number 35 by totals that year. And I know that this morning, James Harden showed up to Sixers training camp. And no weirdness has happened yet. Whatever the hell that means. Something's probably going to come at some point, but it hasn't happened yet. Does he remain chill? I don't know. Um, Malik Andrews posting photos of Harden. He's high-fiving coaches and stuff. But look, they can do all they want out on the open like that. Whatever he's, he's going to have to convince the players if he does end up sticking around that he's actually there with them. His beef is with Daryl Morey, as we've seen. It's not with the players on the club, and so maybe there's an opportunity to smooth that over. I think we all still think that James Harden is getting traded. So, to that end, this most recent season, we got a pretty good look of what Tyrese Maxey can do with increased usage. Just pretend, picture this if you will, Tyrese Maxey with even more usage. He's a weird test case because uh, he actually, his rank went down season over season despite the uptick in usage. Two years ago, he averaged 17.5 points, three boards, four and change assists, 1.1 combined defensive stats, and a 48.5-86.5 field goal free throw split with about just under two three-pointers a game. This last year, he was at 20 points, 2.7 threes. You can see this on your screen if you're watching with us. Three threes, just under four assists, only .9 defensive stats. Blocks disappeared for him. The uh, field goal free throw splits didn't shift all that much. But the thing is, if Harden's gone, the ball handler goes with him. That's the thing that we're looking at. It's not so much that James Harden leaves town and takes his 14 and a half shots with him. Fine. You know, a shot or two extra for Tyrese Maxey, that's a good thing. But the guy that got 11 assists, the guy that initiated half the damn plays when, when Joel Embiid wasn't doing it himself, would be gone. And so Tyrese Maxey, who did take a hit when his assists dropped back under, what was it, what did I say he was? He was on four two years ago, and he was at three and a half this last year. That's a number that probably gets back up into the fours. And scoring would go up by probably two to four points. Rebounding likely stays about the same. I don't know that he plays anymore. Defensive stats stay pretty tight. And he's a guy who has basically a positive impact in percentages because his field goal is good for a guard at 48%. His free throw is solid. More of that is good. More threes is good. There's just a lot of things that go up for him. And he had a weird injury last year that clouds the fact that the previous season he was pretty healthy. And I don't think... Like, I don't think that we can just assume he's not going to be. He missed about 11 games two years back, then seven, and then this last year, 22. But again, you add another two shots to the ledger for him. You're adding another probably three to four points. You add the assists back in. That's all gravy. Tyrese Maxey is an incredibly efficient player. Um who's getting drafted right now, and I guess this is sort of an important part, he's getting drafted in the mid to late 50s, which on a per-game basis, how much does he thump that? Uh, I don't know if it's by a ton. You probably see him in a good scenario. If Harden's gone, is, is probably a 40s range per-game guy, and he might even slide down to the 50s if the defensive stats continue to drop or if any of the efficiency stuff fluctuates. But I expect him to be more durable and hardy this coming season. I expect him to get into the 30s by totals, and there's actually room to go beyond that. So that's player number one, and now you basically have an idea of how we're going to be doing these things. Player number two on the list is a buddy that's a repeat offender on this board, and that's Cam Johnson, who um, we had on our board last year and got hurt and... Kind of blew the whole thing to smithereens. Which is good and bad. The bad, obviously, is that we had an easy win that got smoked by injury. Because Cam Johnson came out of the gates. He had like two games where he was ramping up. People panicked. Then he started playing a high 20s to low 30s in minutes. This is even in Phoenix, guys. And he was a uh, 50 to 70 range fantasy guy. For the Suns, he was getting drafted like in the 90s, 100s last year, even in some places, and then he got hurt. Now, the good news is that that means that folks still aren't super high on him. His ADP is 69. His pre-rank on Yahoo is 67. There's room there. And he's a better 9-cat player than 8-cat, so I suppose we should probably throw that out there. Last season, Cam Johnson only had 0.9 turnovers per game. Again, those that are watching with us on YouTube, that can sort of follow along on the screen. He was at 0.6 in Phoenix, so a lot of his value is actually there. With Brooklyn, he averaged almost 17 points per game, five boards, two assists, uh, two and a half three-pointers almost. He's an 85% free-throw shooter. He was also at 1.4 steals. He's actually a better steals guy than folks remember because Phoenix never gave him the full complement of minutes. And it's not like you have to look at him and say, oh, well, we need to see what he did the final two months of the year. It's not quite that simple because there, again, is that efficiency thing that sort of pushes back against other stuff. But if you extrapolate Cam Johnson's time in Brooklyn which again was 16 and some odd points, almost five rebounds, two assists, 2.33s, 1.4 steals. If you push that out over an entire season, that's a top 50 number. And he's going in the mid to late 60s. There's room for growth even beyond that, but we don't have to assume that's going to happen for him to actually get to his mark. The thing we really need out of Johnson is health. It's unclear if that's something that we can definitely count on because he has been a little banged up at times in the past. If you go back to the COVID year, he missed 15 games. I think actually COVID was a part of that. Uh, No, that can't be right. It was the year after that that everybody missed half of December and January. He only missed 12 games that year. That's really not that bad. The following season, uh, he missed 16, so he was a little bit banged up there. And then this last season, he played in only 42. So that is the big issue with Cam. Can he stay healthy? If he does, he beats this mark. And so maybe he falls more into the category of guys that we want to see stay on their feet. Maybe he's not the what you'd call a breakout guy because he already kind of started to break out at the end of last season. But there's almost no reason to think that that doesn't continue. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter and suddenly you realize... Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Next player on the list is what we're going to call a re-breakout, and that's Jeremy Grant. And you guys, I know, are going to kill me for this one. And honestly, I don't care if you guys kill me for this one. Jeremy Grant, and we just talked about this with Josh Lloyd a couple days ago on the pod, is... A shutdown artist in that for multiple years running now, Grant, first in Detroit and then in Portland, was very, very good for whatever stretch of the season they decided to use him. Certain years, it's been better than others. Uh, the the COVID season was his, uh, cha- not championship, was his Western Conference run with Denver. Following year, the sort of like, I like to... Pr- I don't know what the right nomenclature is. This is the uh, purposeful 72-gamer. He took off basically the last, like, four and change weeks in Detroit. Ended up playing 54 games. The following year in Detroit, they went mass maximum shutdown with him. Um, played only 47 games. And then last year in Portland, they went shutdown again. Uh, and Grant played only 63. I'm actually okay with him playing 63 ball games because, and this is maybe even more so head-to-head than Roto, which I know you guys are looking at me. You're like, Dan, this is pretty weird. You're actually talking about something that's better for head-to-head. Most people look at Jeremy Grant and say, obviously worse on the head-to-head side because of the shutdown risk. But if you wipe out the final three weeks of your season, his shutdown risk dramatically reduced, even on this young Portland team. And then you get a guy that misses a handful of games during your your head-to-head regular season, your head-to-head playoffs, you know, a game like every other week or so, which is a a pretty easy thing um it's a pretty easy thing for your team to weather. The reason I put Jeremy Grant on this list. Then I get it there's like all these caveats for everything that's going on, but his numbers last year, uh he was number 72 in 9cat. And his ADP right now is 72, or his ADP is actually 75 and a half. His pre-rank on Yahoo is 72. He was number 72 last year, and Damian Lillard was there for most of the games he played. If you look early in the season, remember, Dame missed like three weeks, I think it was in November. I have trouble remembering exactly when all this stuff went down. If you basically look at the 2022 Portion of last year. You got a chunk of games in there, some 10 to 15 games where uh Damian Lillard was out. I don't uh I'm trying to remember exactly how many games he missed in that. I think Dame missed like 10 ball games. When Dame was out, Jeremy Grant went buck wild. That's the long and short of it. If you're only looking, and you can stretch it out a little bit longer if you want, if you don't want to just say, oh, well, you know, you can't just say Dame was out. You have to also accept the fact that this year Scoot is in, other guys uh, are—DeAndre Ayton is in, Nurk is out, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Even if you take that more conservative tack with Jeremy Grant and just look at beginning of last year— to December 31st, where Dame actually played 23 of the Blazers. I don't know what they had in there, like 35 or 36 ball games. Jeremy Grant was ranked around 50. And again, that's with Dame for two thirds of those games. So like you can you can mess around with the date ranges if you want and try to figure out what the best, like the the absolute best possible Jeremy Grant run is in there where Dame was not part of it or whatever. Um, He gets into the forties. I think there might've been a a week or two week stretch where he was in the thirties. I wouldn't expect him to be a thirties range guy this year because again, there are guys coming in to hang out with him, but his scoring goes up. He was at like 23, 24 points per game. When Dame was out, the steals and blocks remain just under one, he can bring you decent stuff in both, possibly, percentages. He hits threes. He doesn't rebound as well as you'd want from sort of a bigger wing. But between the threes, the steals, some blocks, good percentages, good scoring, there's a very real scenario where Jeremy Grant posts scoring numbers like his second er, first year in Detroit, where he's up in that 22 to 24 range. Uh, I'm hoping that the field goal percent is more like his career mark and not like the Chuck Fest that he had in Detroit. But the free throws are a positive now. And he's a 50-range guy when he's coasting along like that. If you can get a 50-range guy in the 70s because of the fear of a shutdown, provided you're in a league where your playoffs don't go to the very end, which should not be happening, He is an interesting candidate for a breakout. And on the Roto side, again, you just take what you can get. You're getting him at the end of the sixth round, beginning of the seventh round, and you're getting top 50 per game production. That's basically a no-brainer. Next name on the list is someone that I think probably does fall into the more traditional sense of who might break out, and that's Tyus Jones. But he also is staring right down the barrel of an end-of-season shutdown. So, for the same reasons as Jeremy Grant, and I don't want to repeat myself verbatim, make sure your head-to-head league is ending three weeks early. And if you're in Roto, you take what you take, and you just enjoy it. Tyus Jones, I don't know if I said Trey or if I said Tyus. This is Tyus Jones. Tyus Jones is an absolute stud when he gets the opportunity to do so. Last year, in 24 minutes per game, He sat right in the 130 range, which I know doesn't sound all that juicy, but if you bumped him up to starters minutes, basically if you look at the games when John Morant was out, Tyus Jones was a top 50 point guard. And I get it. Washington has some young guys that they're going to be demoing at times. I really think that type of stuff happens later in the year. The nice thing about Tyus Jones is that there is this sort of cloud of, will the Wizards actually give him starters minutes? How long will they do it? Here's the thing. I want to remind all of you guys, teams that lean into the, quote, youth movement, it doesn't usually happen on day one, especially when they have a handful of, I don't know what you'd call veterans necessarily, like Tyus Jones, Jordan Poole, Daniel Gafford, who we're actually going to be talking about shortly here on this very same program. YouTubers saw his face on the thumbnail. Those guys are not going to want to just throw in the towel on day one. It's horrible for morale. And frankly, it's bad for the young guys. They need to be taught a little bit how to win. The other thing about this year is there's no Wembenyama or Scoot at the end of the tunnel. There's going to be plenty of good basketball players in the draft. But this last year had every reason for teams to tank early, often, and hard in whatever ways they saw fit. Shutting a guy down for two weeks in January. I've talked about the pre-tank, teams that sort of crap themselves in November when nobody's paying attention to the shutdowns. First of all, you've got the league now monitoring shutdowns, so that's going to change things a little bit. Maybe not so much for a team like the Wizards that doesn't have the, the star-level players that teams are going to be keeping an eye on. But that's something for a couple of teams that might try to throw in the towel part way. You've also got, again, not quite the same impetus. The Wizards already have some young guys on this club. They're going to be trying to figure out how to put some pieces together. And Chias Jones is a facilitator, he's a connector, he's a pass first, solid defensive point guard who was, for the last couple of seasons, arguably the best backup point guard in the NBA in Memphis. And we saw it. Every time Ja went down, the Grizzlies kept winning. Tyus Jones was a huge part of that. I would, and YouTubers get a a better look at this, you can pull up someone like Tyus Jones' game log, and you can very quickly figure out the games that Ja Morant wasn't there. Basically, just look for any time that Tyus Jones got 30 minutes. And he flexes. He did it on the penultimate game of the regular season. Tyus Jones played 43 minutes that night. He had 13 points, 8 boards, 12 assists, 4 steals, a block, and a 3-pointer. Whoo! They're not all like that. He had a 34-minute game against Orlando with 7 points, 8 assists, 6 boards. But he did have 2 steals. It's just that he missed all 7 of his 3-pointers that night. Obviously, that type of stuff levels out. 35 and a half minutes against Dallas on March 20th. 16 points, two boards, six assists, a steal, and a couple of three-pointers. When this dude is playing starters minutes, he is tremendous. I was pretty frustrated when Yahoo bumped him up in their latest board rearrange, because for a long time, Tyus Jones was going in the 85 to 95 range, and now he's at 75 His ADP is still 83, but that's on its way up. Yahoo's pulling him forward. When he was going in the 80s, he was one of the best values on the board. If you could get him in the 90s, he was insane. Now in the 70s, it's not quite as juicy. Again, with the shutdown risk, that's a little bit more obnoxious, so you might only get like 62 to 67 games out of him. But he'll do so much damage in the head-to-head regular season, and if your playoffs start early enough, the head-to-head playoffs for you as well, that he will be worth it. If your playoffs go to the end of the regular season, he probably does not make this list, and neither does the next guy because he's his teammate, and that's Daniel Gafford. Daniel Gafford has two red flags hanging over his head. One of those, as the YouTube chat room has pointed out like two or three times already, he's already dinged up. Daniel Gafford is already dinged up. Uh, He hurt himself, I think, two, three days ago in a pickup game uh, and he's out two to four weeks. Unfortunately, this type of stuff happens regularly with him. But this is a year where he has almost all the runway he could possibly want. And we've seen what he does when he has the runway. The numbers that he put up last year are not going to blow anybody away. Nine points, five and a half rebounds, one assist. That's not exciting. Nobody really wants that from their, a center that they're going to take a shot on. But that was in 20 and a half minutes per game on a team that had Bradley Beal and Kristaps Porzingis last year. Porzingis is gone. The competition for Daniel Gafford in the front court is slim. And he's another guy like Tyus Jones, where if you look at the game log, your eyes will light up like you just discovered. Well, I don't know. What does anybody want? The fountain of youth? I think that's what we all want. Porzingis didn't play towards the end of the regular season last year. You might remember that. They shut him down right as soon as he hit 65 games. I think it was about four or five games to go in the year. Maybe it was a little bit before that. You can see some of the gaffer damage over that stretch if you just look at, like, the last six, seven games of the season. San Antonio, nine points, only three boards, but two blocks on four out of five shooting. You'll take it. Next day or next game against Toronto, 10 points, eight boards, a block, three assists. Okay, but guess what? That's like the that's like the floor when he's playing decent minutes. Next night, eighteen and thirteen with a steal, two blocks, and eight out of fourteen from the field. Twenty-eight minutes the night after that, four point seven boards, couple of blocks. It's not going to be shimmering every night, but we've seen it when Gafford gets starters' minutes, he's a top seventy-five per-game center, or better. One of the things that I was kicking back and forth on this show was whether or not to go with Daniel Gafford or Mark Williams as the guy for this, basically this slot on the do I want to talk about one guy or the other. And the reason I went Gafford is not because Mark Williams has a little bit more competition at center, because he does have a little bit more, but that's not the reason. The reason is that I like Gafford's block rate. I think his block rate holds a little better than Williams. I think his rebound rate gets better this year for Gafford when there are fewer guys, fewer big guys that also are taking them. Gafford's free throw shooting is a little bit of a mixed bag. Both those guys could end up like somewhere around high 60s to low 70s in free throws, so that's not really the edge. And I could, I, I get it, like. Those two guys are pre-ranked 86 and 87, so a lot of folks are going to be debating between the two of them, and I don't know that there's a fantastic case for one over the other. Williams has a better shot to play down the stretch, so if your league goes to the end of the year, maybe he does actually make more sense here than Daniel Gafford. But if your league doesn't go to the end, uh, and Roto as well, I think per game-wise, Gafford probably has the little bit of an edge this year, and that's why I lean his direction. But certainly as far as, like, the idea of a traditional breakout goes. Both of those guys fall into that category. Guys that haven't really had the opportunity to get nuts might have an opportunity now to get nuts. Gafford could go out there and get you—you you know, 12, 13 points, eight boards, and you know, uh, call it like 1.6 blocks per game. I don't think Mark, I don't think Mark Williams gets to one and a half blocks. Next name on the board is one that I've been fighting with uh, other analysts about, and I'll probably fight with you listeners about him as well, and that's okay. Uh, And that's John Collins, who, um, much like Jeremy Grant, is not a first-time breakout, but a re-breakout candidate. And this one is not about metrics. It's not about numbers in almost any way. I mean, obviously, it's about numbers at the end of it all. This is about a change of scenery. Because what I'd like to remind you guys of is that John Collins has been on the trade block for three and a half years in a row. And if you look at his numbers, starting basically with what was a monster breakout performance for him in the uh, actual COVID shutdown season, 2019-2020, Atlanta's just been slowly moving away from him a little bit more every single year. And it's not because John Collins is old and can't play anymore. The kid was born in 1997. He just had his 26th birthday. Provided I am still doing that math properly. He's in this prime. Let me remind you guys, 2019-2020, and I don't think he's going to have quite this level of usage even in Utah. John Collins averaged almost 22 points a game, 10 rebounds, 2.4 combined defensive stats. Shot 58% from the field, 80 at the free throw line, and 40 from downtown, which again, some of that stuff feels probably not uh, replicatable for him. But the thing I really want to draw everybody's eyes to is what happened to Collins over the next three years. His field goal attempts per game went from 15 to 12.2 to 11.9, and this past season, just 10. Atlanta didn't care about him anymore. His minutes didn't change all that much over the last three years, but he just kept slowly getting phased out of everything or anything, frankly, that they were doing. Yes, that 2019-20 season, he played more minutes. He was at 33 instead of more like 30 the other seasons of his career, but the per-minute stuff for him just got worse And worse, and that's the type of stuff you see from guys that are like 34 years old and starting to get on the wrong side of their prime, not from guys that are 24, 25, 26. This was a situation where a team had moved on from a player even when the player was still there. So give me the rebirth just in a new place. I don't even care that his competition for minutes in Utah might be tougher than it was in Atlanta. The Jazz went out and got him with the intention of seeing what's there. And if he can play anything like the John Collins that had a little bit of confidence or a chip on your shoulder or whatever you want to call it, this could be a really good year for him. Utah's still in kind of a semi-tank mode. Um, that's a, a certainly a reason for concern. They've got some young guys on the roster, but they also have some slightly older dudes. It's a weird mix for the Jazz because they were pretty competitive last year until they traded Mike Conley, but they still have Larry Markkinen off his monster, call it a breakout year, last year. Colin Sexton, who they signed to a, a relatively long-term contract before he got hurt, actually was hurt, I think, and then got hurt again coming into last year. Uh, They have Collins now. They have Jordan Clarkson, who they re-signed. These are four guys who don't want to just drop into the season and be terrible. I would also remind you guys that Utah didn't really pull the plug on their main dudes until like the last six to ten games of the year also. So the shutdown risk shouldn't be a massive game changer for you. And I just like the idea of John Collins being... He's like what you could actually call a sleeper. He's being slept on because he's been bad for three years in a row. But I just don't think he's that guy when given an opportunity to flex a little. So I like that one. And the last name we're going to talk about on today's show, the very last name, and I don't want to pull it up because this is a wonderful time for me to remind you guys to please like, rate, and subscribe. Again, if only 10 to 15% of you guys just quickly navigate down with your thumb, with your cursor, whatever, click that thumbs up button. It goes so far in everything that we're doing here. And also, also, I got some sponsors I got to tell you guys about. Number one, this show, of course, as always, brought to you by Sports Ethos. And today is Brewski 150 day, ladies and gentlemen. The B-150 is officially available to Ethos 360 subscribers. That's available at sportsethos.com. Get an Ethos 360 plan, and you can read the B-150 two freaking day. Yeah, you heard that right. This podcast is also brought to you, and I told you guys about this yesterday, by our buddies at Manscaped. Oh yes, they're back with us. They have a big launch, by the way, coming up later this month, but I don't want to tell you guys about that yet, because right now, what did I do yesterday? I gave you guys the Halloween read yesterday. Let's talk about fall. Friends, confidants, hairy men... (laughs) couldn't get through the beginning of that one smell the pumpkin spice because it's fall but you know what it's fresh face fall with manscaped and nobody else can give your face the love it needs other than our friends at manscaped.com the folks who changed below your belt grooming are here to help with their brand new handyman that's the electric face shaver yeah like this guy, your cheeks, your neck. Look at my god-awful neck today. I'm unclean. My handyman is on the way from Manscaped right now. I'm really excited to get it because we just started the partnership two days ago, so it's in the mail. I'll show it to you guys once I get it. I'll I'll show it on air. But I'm really excited to use this because Manscaped pioneered skin-safe technology that just wasn't available prior to them changing the male grooming marketplace. And they're now bringing that to your face. So it's no longer a sideburn trimmer. You can get right up in there, clean shaven with the handyman at manscaped.com. And you can do it now using our special promo code. That is ETHOS20. E T H O S 20. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code ETHOS20 at manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Promo code is ETHOS20. Hit the refresh button on your face with the handyman. Can you believe that? Manscaped, man, they're branching out. I'm actually really excited about it. So thank you to Manscaped for coming back and hanging with us. Uh, Thank you to Sports Ethos for making all these pods possible all the time and allowing me to do this for a living. That's absurd. Let's talk about the last name on our board here. None of you is going to be surprised by this name. Ta-da! D'Anthony Melton. You guys know I love me some D'Anthony Melton. And I'm going to be arguing with Josh on Thursday. What's Thursday? That's tomorrow. I'm going to be arguing with Josh over on his Locked On channel about D'Anthony Melton. Um, Not that he doesn't like him, by the way. I talked to Josh off-air about it. He just wants me to sort of defend myself. um, And I'm very ready to. We've been on D'Anthony Melton for like five years running at Sports Ethos. So this should surprise nobody. But we're talking about a guy that because last year his role bounced around so much, people ended up kind of frustrated with him. And I get it. I feel your pain, people. There were stretches where he was really frustrating to roster last year. But guess what? When you rolled it all together at the end of the tunnel, dude is number 75 for the entire year per game played in 77 of his team's ball games That's a very high number in the modern NBA, in case you weren't aware, which made him, get ready for this, by totals, number 44 last year. And I know we've talked on this show a number of times that the guys you're looking for are not the guys that are like ranked 125 and play in 77 games because their value is artificially inflated by totals. A guy that's inside the top 75 is already a good player for your team. Add that guy to a nice totals number. It's not an artificial inflation. It's legitimate. That's a guy you want. And as we already talked about with Tyrese Maxey, if James Harden is out of town, we've seen what DeAnthony Melton can do when Harden wasn't there. Remember, James missed a bunch of time early last season, and I once again struggle to remember exactly what days those were for James. I think it was... I think it was December. I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull it up fast enough for anybody to, to, for this to be useful for today's podcast. Um, but James missed a, a pretty good chunk of time very early in the season. Actually, it was November. Ah, see, I figured it out. So if you want, play with the numbers a little bit. Basically, go to like a date range on your player rank tool and look at the month of November. Go a little earlier and a little later just to make sure that we get all this stuff figured out. And look at DeAnthony Melton's numbers, basically, when James Harden was out. First of all, he was at three combined defensive stats, and his overall rank didn't change that much because he shot a weirdly low 36% from the field and 61 at the free throw line. But if you look at everything else that's going on, and you adjust for that Small sample size-itis that went on there. That type of stuff puts Melton in the upper echelons. And the beauty is right now, and hopefully this show doesn't screw that up, right now you can get him outside the top 100. Pretty crazy. To me, and again, some of this has to do with whether Harden's around or not and what Melton's role turns out to be, because Tyrese Maxey is going to be ahead of him in the pecking order, so will Tobias Harris. But Melton doesn't need ball in hand to be extremely effective from a fantasy standpoint. What he needs is consistent minutes and a consistent role. And if Harden's gone, those things will be there. Just think of it this way. Melton in Memphis... Not this most recent, obviously, his last year in Memphis. He took 9.5 shots per game in only 23 minutes per night. In Philly, in 28 minutes per night, he only took 8.5 shots per game. But his steals and blocks have always been stellar. He'll get you a handful of assists. Not a ton, but more if Harden's gone. Rebounds relatively well for a guard. Free throws, he doesn't take any, so who cares? So it's about making sure the field goal percent stays at 42% or better. And then everything else falls into place. So I love it, and those are your names on today's board, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm debating whether or not to do a question deal at the end here. There's only a, a couple. Um, yeah, let's let's uh, let's do a question. But first, Andre reminds us that it is to indeed Happy Brewski One Hundred and Fifty Day. It is out. and it is beautiful. He's not wrong. Janelle, uh, will Gafford be ready for the season opener? Um, I call that 50-50 right now, which I know doesn't help you all that much. But uh, two days ago, he was listed out as two to four weeks, and the season opener is three weeks. So that's right smack in the middle. I would just assume that he misses the first week of the season, which admittedly sucks, but it's not the kind of thing where, I, you know, I talk on this, sh- on this show regularly about not stashing injured guys to start a year, like a John Morant would be a better example of that. If someone is expected to play within the first three games of the year, um, I think we can make an exception on that one. Mr. 101 says, what kind of strategy would you suggest for a league with lineups of three guards, three forwards, three bench, two centers, two utilities? That's pretty standard, three, three, two, and two. Um, No change to your strategy. Every league I've ever played in, with the exception of one, I think, was a two-center league. And because there are a truckload of players with center eligibility, you're good. Um, one thing I've been thinking about, I tweeted about it earlier this morning, that I, I kind of want to look into. I don't know if there's going to be time right now but uh, with how many things are going on. But because there's so many centers out there, is this the year to actually go the other way? Meaning, now you've got all these big men that are kind of traditional. Bad foul shooters, rebounding shot blockers some of them are shot blockers that are not quite as bad. So you got like the unicorn types like Porzingis and JJJ and maybe Chad Holmgren, um, guys that can hit threes, not ruin your percentages and block you a bunch of shots. Brooke Lopez, I guess falls into that, uh, department as well. Sort of a more boring version of it, but you also have this big wave of free throw crapperoonies, but just monsters on field goal percent and rebounding and blocks like a Walker Kessler and Nick Claxton, um, uh, I guess Clint Capella probably falls into that department. Gafford, who we talked about, is not great at the foul line, better shot blocker. Um, Jared Allen, not as great as shot blocker, but pretty good at the other stuff we talked about, and so a tiny bit better in free throws. So you got a bunch of traditional centers. What I want to explore, Mr. 101 and anybody else, is is this a time now to consider saying the hell with it on rebounds Dodging those big rebounding free throw tank kind of guys and targeting the centers that are not the traditional ones, the ones that rebound more poorly, like Brooke Lopez, like JJJ, that get you the blocked shots without ruining any percentages. What does that mean for your team? Do you now, are you punting rebounds and field goal percent, or can you make up for that on the guard side? There's a few things I want to try out, and, and maybe mock drafts will help a tad. I'm probably not going to put this into practice in my leagues, but it is something I kind of want to explore. Harumph, who always has fun tweets. I appreciate your stuff. It's funny. I picked AD and KD at the turn in a 12-team league. Am I dead? Well, um, I'll say this for your team. You may want to just close your eyes each day, and then at the end of the night, open them up. And hope that your guys are still standing, because if they are, your team's going to be a monster, because KD's probably a top seven. AD's probably top five. To get those guys at 12 and 13 is absolutely nasty. Um, But if they go down at the same time, you're screwed. I guess just pray that they go down one at a time. I'm going to go back to Brewski 150 day. Seriously, big fun day. This is a one-show day here on Fantasy NBA Today, so I'm trying to jam in all the promo I can. B-150 available now at sportsethos.com. I am Dan Bespris. Thank you guys for watching here on my very buzzy titled show on this lovely Wednesday morning, afternoon everywhere besides the Pacific Coast, I guess. At Dan Bespris on Twitter, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I I would almost beg of you guys to come find me over there as arguably the most important thing you can do from these pods because I want to be able to communicate with you in between shows. That's the place to do it. Or our Sports Ethos Discord is also... um, That uh, permalink is in the show's description. But uh, I'll see you guys over on social media. Like, rate, subscribe on the way out, depending on how you're watching this thing. Have a great day tomorrow. We'll try to do two shows. I'll try to get a mock mixed in. Um, But it's going to be tough because I am guesting on Josh's show in the afternoon. So uh, we'll see how all of that stuff shakes out. Until then, see you later.